You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. All right, so we are in week two of our Advent series. Last week, Corbin was up here and he talked about uh, the first theme of Advent, which is hope. And he did a great job. One of the things that I really loved about what he brought up was this like, the, the fact that when Jesus came, he brought light with him. He is the light of the world. And because of that light, we have hope. We have hope because that light shines into the darkest parts of our lives. And he invites us out of those dark corners that we sit in, those dark, scary, shameful corners. He shines the light and says, come on out into the light. It's okay. And that gives us hope. And then we get to partake and and join with him in that light and spreading that light to everybody else that we come into contact with, spreading that hope as well. Today, week two of Advent, our theme is peace. When you guys hear the word peace, what comes to mind? Are you, do you think of like a feeling that you have inside? Do you think of uh, an outward circumstance that needs to be better? Are you thinking about like world peace where there's an absence of conflict? There's no pain and no sorrow, no sadness. Do you think about how It's impossible for peace to exist now. That it can only truly exist when Jesus comes back. What kind of things go through your head as you think about this word peace? That's what I want you guys to be thinking about as we dive into some text today and just look at what kind of peace that Jesus brought with him when he came so long ago. I want to start in the book of Luke, in chapter 2. Kind of fill you in where we're jumping into the story here. Jesus was just born in Bethlehem. And an angel shows up to some shepherds tending their flocks in a nearby field. And this angel is proclaiming to the shepherds the good news that the Christ, the anointed one of God, had been born. And he gives them some idea. He's like, you need to go see this. It's this amazing thing. He tells them what they're to expect. And then we see verse 13. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So these angels are proclaiming peace to these shepherds and they go And they see, just as they were told, they see the child in the manger, they see the family, and they believe. And so they take that word, they take the things that they saw, they take the things that they had heard, and they start spreading the news, telling everybody they can, the anointed one of God has been born. The peace that he has promised us so long ago is at hand. But what was that peace? What, was, what were they looking for? What were they anticipating when the anointed one of God would show up? I think it would be 
beneficial for us to jump back into their history, hit a couple of highlights of, the, of God's people to get a little better understanding of what it was that they might be looking for when, they're anointed, when the anointed one showed up. So let's go back in time, all the way back to the 17th century. This is where the story of God's people starts. When God shows up and calls a man named Abram to leave his family and go to a faraway country so that God could make him a great nation and then his family can be a blessing to all people. If you guys have have not ever taken the time or it's been a while since you have to read the story of of Abraham's family, this starts in Genesis 12 and goes through the rest, If you haven't taken the time to do that, I encourage you to do it, especially this time of year, because nothing will make you feel better about your own family than reading about Abraham's family. They were pretty jacked up. (laughs) Anyway, so the family grows, and they, they prosper, and they end up in Egypt because of a famine, and then they become slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. In the 13th century century is when Moses shows up on the scene, goes to Pharaoh, sings a song, let my people go. You guys are asleep today. Or my jokes just suck. So the people are brought out of Egypt. They go back to the land that God initially promised them. This is the 13th century again. And they start to build their kingdom, start to build their identity as a nation. And they're doing okay for a while, then by the 11th century they decide, you know what, we want to be like everybody else, and they establish a monarchy. And they put a king on the throne, and they put Saul up there. And it seems like things are going okay for a little while. They have Saul and David and Solomon, but at the end of Solomon's reign, it's 10th century, Nobody wants Solomon's kids to rule them. So the kingdom divides. You have two kingdoms now. Ten of the tribes go up to the north, call themselves the nation of Israel. Two tribes stay to the south, and they're the the kingdom of Judah. Lots of kings rise up and fall. Lots Lots of bad kings, some good kings. But the time finally comes within a couple of years that God's like, okay, enough is enough. And in the 8th century, he sends in the Assyrians to wipe out the northern kingdom. And in the process, they take all of the people and they spread them to the four corners of the world. But during that process, even even before they were annihilated, as they were staring down the, the barrel of that, God gives them a word through his prophet Isaiah, a word of hope, a word of peace. I want to read that with you guys today. We're in Isaiah chapter 11. God says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. 
He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear and their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. God promised them someone that would rise up from the lineage of David to lead them back to glory, back to a, an independent, strong kingdom that would be a light to the world like he initially told them they would be. All nations would be blessed. There would be peace amongst all of the tribes of Israel and the rest of the world and even creation. That was the promise that God gave them as they were staring down annihilation from the Assyrians. But none of them got to see that. Within a couple hundred years, by the sixth century, Judah was in the same boat. They were staring down the same fate that the, is, the northern kingdom had just went through. This time it was from the Babylonians. But again, God uses one of his mouthpieces, one of his prophets, to give them a word to look forward to. Over in Jeremiah 33, or no, 23, sorry. Verses five and six, God says this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Same promise. A, a leader's going to rise up and lead them to peace, lead them to safety, bring the nation back together. Again, these people don't get to see that. They're carted off, most of them are carted off to Babylon. In about 70-ish years, they start to come back to the nation of Israel. They start to try to build back up what, they had, what had been destroyed. They building up the wall around Jerusalem, starting to build the temple. And <clears throat> they don't get too far within, but in another 300 years, or actually a couple hundred years in the fourth century, a guy by the name of Alexander the Great comes marching through the, the area. And he takes over them. And they're under his rule for a couple hundred years. And then in the first century, a little, little place called Rome comes to town. 
And Rome establishes control over Israel for 400 years. This is a people that have not experienced peace in a very, very long time. This is a people that have been promised somebody that will raise up within them to lead them out of that. That will bring God's people back to his, their country and establish his kingdom again. That will be a blessing to all people. This is what Jesus was born into. And as he began his ministry years later after he was born, after this proclamation in Luke 2, I'm sure people were following close, especially those ones who heard the news that day. Like, what is this guy going to do? And as they start to see that, he is becoming a great leader. Not only is he a great leader, but he is a spiritual teacher. Like, he's, he teaches like no one we've ever seen or heard before. He's influential. He's able to bring all peoples together, all kinds of walks of life. We've got zealots and we've got tax collectors and fishermen hanging out with him. Like, what's going on? And I'm sure questions were starting to happen. Like, could this be, could this be him? Is this the guy that God promised us so many years ago through his prophets that would, would come and raise, rise up through the ranks and lead us to peace, reestablish the kingdom of Israel, bring everybody home, usher in a peace like we've never experienced before. Could this be the guy? I'm sure they were fairly disappointed as they continued to follow him. Because if they listened, he would say things like, be peacemakers. Forgive those who have wronged you. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Like, that doesn't sound like a guy who's going to raise up and raise an army up to take out Rome. And even more so, that week of Passover, when he comes back into Jerusalem before his crucifixion, he's riding in on a donkey. And Corbin alluded to it a little bit last week, but when a king rode into a a city during ancient times, what he wrote into the city was very significant. Like it told them what his intentions were when he got there. By riding a donkey instead of a horse, he was telling them that he was coming in peace, not coming for war. This is not exactly the peace that these guys were hoping for. They were expecting something else. They were expecting something more. They wanted more. But Jesus knew what they needed. He knew what kind of peace that they needed in their lives. Here's what Jesus says about peace. In John chapter 14... Verse 27 says this. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is the night of the Last Supper. 
These are some of the last words he tells his disciples before he leaves. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. A little later in the night, you turn over to chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, the, the peace that he came to establish was different than the one that they were hoping for. It wasn't about having an absence of conflict an absence of suffering, of pain, of sorrow. It was about having a a completion, a, a contentment inside, the ability to walk in sorrow and in pain and in strife, but still be at peace. And he exemplified that exact thing. In that same night, Later on, when, we're, when they are at the garden and the guards show up to arrest him, he could have very easily got on board with what Peter was doing and roused everybody and said, fight him off. It's not time. But he doesn't. He goes with them. And as he's standing before the Sanhedrin and they are trying him and accusing him of all these things that he was doing, he didn't stick up for himself. He didn't try to defend himself. He stood there and took it. He took it all the way to the cross. See, he was trying to show his guys that the peace that he was offering them, the peace, his peace, was so much deeper. It was about the, what could go on in here, not what was going on out here. And they saw that. they were able to see how Jesus was able to be content, as impossible as it seems, in the situation that he was in. And it's impossible. When you see somebody in strife, in troubles, and they're still at peace, it's impossible to not wonder why and ask, like, what is going on? How is that possible? That is, it is contagious. It is so contagious that once these guys understood it and they started to live this and accept that the peace that Jesus gave them was a different kind of peace, they too, later on in their own lives, as they stood before persecution and martyrdom, they were able to stand firm in their faith. And those around them were able to see how they handled it. And it trickled down. Christians standing in the arena in Rome, facing down the mouths of lions, being at peace, standing firm. This is the same peace that he offers to us. This is the same peace that he invites us into as well. And look, I know it's hard. I know it's hard to remember that 
the peace that he invites us into is different. Especially this time of year. This time of year is so busy with all kinds of things. Expectations that we put on ourselves to put on the best Thanksgiving dinner or get the perfect present for so-and-so. Or the fact that maybe this is the first time we've ever had a Thanksgiving or a Christmas without a loved one. Like, peace, that kind of peace that he offers can be easily forgotten. Because there's a lot of things that happen around us that pull us away from that. Just this last week, in our country, there was another shooting, this time at a naval base in Florida, where three service members were killed. And in the same week, in the same state, which probably is a a good idea to not to live in Florida, but two guys that robbed a bank took over a UPS truck and kidnapped their driver, drove down the interstate in uh, bumper-to-bumper traffic and got in a gunfight with the police. They died, the, the UPS driver died, and a man just driving home from work that day. Also this week, Sorry, this one. This one gets me angry every time I think about it. This week, a mother from Pennsylvania was arrested and charged for methodically planning out and carrying out the murder of her eight year old boy and her four year old daughter. when we have things like this that go around around us that I'm just like, God, why? Why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? How many more people have to suffer? What else has to happen before we can have a peace where there is no conflict, where there is no suffering? And he reminds me, you have peace. The peace I gave you is so much more than what you're wanting. This is, but it's so easy to forget that when we're surrounded by stuff like this in our society all the time. That's why we do things like Advent not just to remind ourselves and celebrate the fact that Jesus came to earth, but also to remember what it was he came to earth with. He brought with him hope because he was the light of the world and he shone his light into the dark corners of our lives. And he brought with him peace. A peace that we could never truly understand but that we can experience each and every day of our lives. 
I want to share some things as we are starting to wind down that Paul writes to the churches, the early churches about peace. Things that I think that we can walk out of, use and walk out of here today as an encouragement as we try to figure out what it means to let peace rule in our lives and let that uh, just flow out of us into everything that we do and say. I want to go to Romans chapter 8 first. Verses 5 and 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Colossians 3.15. Oh, too far. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Oh, and be thankful as well. Peace is a part of who we are. It's what we've been called to. It's not an impossible thing for us to live in experience. Philippians. Four. Verses 4 through 7, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that passes all understanding. That is the peace that he left with us. That is the peace that he wants us to live in and to spread as we look forward to his coming again when he will bring with him that peace that removes all conflict, that removes the sorrow and the pain and the sadness all around us. But in the meantime, we have his peace inside us. We're going to go to communion. If you are serving communion, uh, if you could head over and start passing out the elements, I would appreciate that. We take communion every week here at Real Life. Uh, and the reason is because we love to remember what it was that Jesus did for us. If you're new here, we have what we call an open table. And all that means is you don't have to be a member with Real Life Church Pullman to take communion with us. We just ask that you're a member of God's family, that you have professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
If you want to just grab one of the elements as it comes by and hold on to it, we'll take it together here in a minute. Uh, as they are passing out communion, I have some questions that I want to just pose to you guys. Questions that our home groups are going to be going through this week. Um, if you're not in a home group, come talk to me after service. I'll try to help you find one that works good for your schedule and your life. Um, but if that doesn't work out for you, maybe you can just take these questions and, and talk to them, talk about them at lunch today or dinner tonight or, or whatever it is. I, these are some good things to ponder as you guys leave today. Question number one is this. What kind of peace are you longing for? So I started talking about, I started out by talking about this peace that the Israel people were looking for. That they were looking for a peace that was outward. One that would set them back into a, a good place and that they would be able to do what God had called them to be and, and be a blessing to all nations. That was the kind of peace that they were looking for. One that would get them out from under oppression. And we do the same thing when we are faced with all the things going on in our lives. That's the kind of peace sometimes that we're looking for. One where God would just take all of the hard things out of our lives so that we don't have to deal with them. Are you, are you longing for that kind of peace? Or are you longing for the peace that, that Jesus left for us that gives us a contentment in all circumstances? Question number two is this. What does it mean to you that Jesus left his peace for you? I, th I find it pretty cool that in John 14, when Jesus says, peace I leave with you, it's, and it's not just a, hey, peace out, brother, go well. Like, no, I'm leaving the peace that I have, the peace that lives within me. That is the peace that I'm giving to you. It's something that you can't do on your own. Here it is. What does that mean for you? Third question is this. As we anticipate Jesus' return, how do you live out his peace and invite others to do the same? <laughs> and then the fourth question goes along with it. How do you live as a peacemaker this holiday season? This holiday season, I think, would be a great opportunity for you to practice what it means to be a peacemaker in every day of your life going forward. I'm sure there are some of you who are not looking forward to spending time with family and picking up the argument that was going on last year and the year before and the year before. Like, what can you do differently this year? How can you let that peace that Jesus has left for you and me be the thing that comes out when you see family or friends this year? Because that's what he did, right? That night when he was having his last supper with his, his friends, he let that peace that was, had been building up inside him come out in the most real way. 
And that night when he took the bread and he gave thanks, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, I, uh, I want to thank you again, Lord, for the amazing opportunity that we all have to be able to gather together in your name, to lift your name high. Lord, I want to thank you for what you have brought to this earth when you came here, that you brought hope and that you brought peace. And Lord, that you have invite us, invited us into that peace, a peace that is too difficult to truly understand some days, but it is there for us and it is yours. Lord, I pray for each one of us as we walk out these doors today that we will be peacemakers. That we'll be peacemakers in our school, that we will be peacemakers in our job, that we will be peacemakers in our community. So that other people can experience that and see that there is hope, there is peace in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.